Hello, Parkview. It's great to be with you this morning, worshiping Jesus. And uh, hey, spring's coming, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? Yes, three cheers for spring. We're all happy for spring. Sun, yes. Uh, so this is great. Let's remember that though the song has stopped, uh, we haven't stopped worshiping Jesus, right? Uh, the preaching of God's word is the whole part of you know, this whole thing called Sunday worship. And so that's what we're doing now. And uh, we're going to continue our series in Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians 4. You can open your Bibles uh, or your phones to Ephesians 4. And uh, as you're turning there, you know, some of you, maybe you're newer to Christianity or you're still considering if Christianity is true or not. If, you're, if you are, that's, I'm really glad that you're here. And just a reminder of what we're doing here. Why is it that every Sunday at Parkview we open up the Bible to study the Bible? The reason is because we believe the Bible is the very Word of God. And that through the Bible, uh, the Lord teaches us about Himself, about His Son Jesus, and then what it means for us to live our lives in light of what He teaches us about Himself. That's why we open up the Bible every Sunday. And uh, we'll continue our series in Ephesians. And let's just remember real quick where we've been. Ephesians 1 to 3 is 30,000 feet in the air. What we learned basically was, uh, do you have like iPhone, if you have like uh, apps, like for to-do, like to-do li- to list apps, you guys have those things? Uh, well, if you did, if God did, uh, the number one item on his agenda uh, of what he is planning to do is to exalt and glorify his son Jesus in uh, all the nations over the whole earth. And the way that's basically one to three, the way he's going to do that is through his church. The way he accomplishes that agenda item, that number one to-do list item, God, uh, he does it through his church. So that's what we learned uh, last week, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. It's about through the unity and maturity of the church. That is how uh, the world gets to know how great and wonderful Jesus is. And so that's what we've learned so far. And you might be asking, because in one sense, Ephesians 1 to 3 is like 30,000 feet in the air with the airplane, and then Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 is kind of like maybe 5,000 feet like below that, but it's still pretty high up there. And you're probably wondering, wait, when do we get to the practical life application stuff? Come back next week. That's next week, okay? And, uh, but, but here's the thing, right? If we jump just immediately to the practical life application without focusing on the passage that we have before us, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, what happens oftentimes in the Christian community is that we are tempted to fall into moralism, meaning we're tempted to think about and conceive of the Christian life as primarily uh, us becoming good people, doing good things that God requires. That's basically what Christianity is. And uh, that's not primarily what Christianity is. Yes, we're called to be good people, but the reason we are called to live out lives of goodness and mercy and love is because we are connected to the Lord Jesus. If we do not realize what our identity is, who we are in Christ, we cannot live for Christ. Another way to say it is in the New Testament, uh, according to the New Testament, what you do for the Lord is always in response to who you are in the Lord. Or to put it, very simply, in four words, to summarize what the New Testament teaches about being a Christian, you ready for this? In four words, it is, be who you are. Be who you are. It's all throughout the New Testament. 
And it's actually the exact emphasis of the passage we're about to read right now in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Be who you are, Parkview. That's what we're going to learn today. And uh, what's going to happen is I will read this passage out loud, and then we'll all listen intently to God's word, and then we'll pray and then move forward. All right? So hear now God's word for us through the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, due to their hardness of heart. They've become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. If you're willing, please pray with me. Father, as always, our prayer remains the same. We ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in these moments together. Help us see Christ. Exalt your Son, Jesus, from this passage into our hearts for your glory. Please help us humbly learn all that you teach, joyfully embrace all that you promise, and gladly obey all that you command for the sake of your Son, Jesus, and his kingdom come. Amen. Well, true confessions. Recently, Claire and I watched a recording of a 2017 therapy session between a psychologist, uh, Dr. Singh, and the world-renowned famous musician and American Idol judge, Katy Perry. Okay? Not sure exactly how we found this. Claire discovered it, and she was like, hey, you should watch this. So I was like, okay. So I watched it. Now, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. It's about 50-ish minutes long, and uh, wow, lots of insights to what's going on in our culture. But one of the main themes of the therapy session, maybe the theme, was how Katy Perry feels like she has two identities, two selves, okay? There is the Katherine Hudson self, which is Katy Perry's birth name, and this is the self that's the little girl who grew up uh, in a strict religious home, but was really never able to enjoy her childhood. She was never really uh, learned how to play well. Uh, she just, she kind of didn't really find the freedom of who she should have been as a little girl. Catherine Hudson, self one. Then there is the other self, Katy Perry. Katy Perry. This self is the world-renowned superstar musician whom many know, millions adore, yet she still feels deep inside of her a pervasive ache to find freedom and happiness. She, it seems very elusive to her to find true freedom and happiness in herself. And so what struck me most was how devoted Carrie, Katy Perry was to knowing and living out of her authentic self. 
In fact, numerous times in the therapy session, Katie used the language of inauthentic self and authentic self. And so th throughout the therapy session, Dr. Singh is trying to do two things. Number one, he's trying to encourage her to identify and live out of her authentic self. The second thing he's encouraging her towards is to put away a life of living out of the inauthentic self. It's not working for you, Katie. It's harming you. Don't live out of the inauthentic self. Discover the authentic self and live out of that. That's, that's basically what's happening in this whole therapy session. Well, in the final moments of the session, the therapist asks Katie to pull a word out of a brass bowl. And in this moment, what it signifies is kind of the final encouragement to Katie. In light of everything they've gone through, whatever word she draws out, it's kind of this, this amazing moment. Oh, this is the kind of the word you need to, to leave and walk away with. And so she draws the word, and the word is freedom. Freedom. And it's at this moment that she begins breaking down, weeping, and crying. In the last words of the session, the therapist says this, you have the freedom to be who you are. The freedom to be who you are. Be who you are. Parkview, do you know who you are? And are you living in the freedom of being true to yourself? Now, therapy can be a very good thing and helpful to many people. Very good thing. And yet in our contemporary Western culture, I, I'm not yet convinced that helping someone look within themselves to discover who they truly are is actually all that helpful. For example, Katy Perry goes to the therapy session because she's experiencing the lack of freedom and happiness inside of herself. She's confused about herself. So then to encourage someone like that to look further inside to discover who they truly are when they're already in conflict about who they are, that seems to me to be a significant contradiction, and actually, ultimately, not helpful. And it's actually the catch-22 of our contemporary Western culture. We're looking for ourselves. We can't find ourselves, but we look more into ourselves. And it's the narratives of movies and songs and so many things. People living in our contemporary Western culture, we're desperate to discover who we truly are and the freedom to live out who we are. And here's the good news. We know the secret. We have the secret, guys. We have the secret, Christians. In the Bible, it understands this deep human longing to have a secure identity, to know oneself. And in fact, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 is all about this very thing. To discover and live out of your authentic self. To be who you are. Like Dr. Singh, what we're going to see in this passage, listen carefully here, is the Apostle Paul is going to urge Christian believers in Ephesus to put away a life characterized by the inauthentic self, who they are not, and then he's going to encourage and exhort them and motivate them to live out of their new self, their authentic self, in Jesus, to be who we are. And that's what we're learning today. If there's one thing you walk away with, if there's one thing you walk away with, from the Ephesians 4, 17 and 24, is this. As a Christian, we must know and live out who we are in Christ. As a Christian, you must be who you are. That is what it means to be a Christian. Be who you are. Live out of your true self, which is found in Jesus. And we're going to see this in two ways. This passage is divided in two primary sections. 17 to 19, verses 17 to 19, is about resisting who we are not. 
verses 17 to 19. And then verses 20 to 24 is about being who you are. 17 to 19, resisting who you are not. 20 to 24, being who you are. Be who you are. So let's look at verses 17 to 19 to learn what it means to resist who we are not. Verse 17, look down with me, please. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. Now stop there real quick. Amazing, okay? Here's what Paul just said there. I say and testify this in the Lord. Basically what he's saying is this is not my human uh, experience. This is not my opinion. This is not some random idea I thought up. Mm, this might be helpful for the Ephesians. No, 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 no. He's saying, he's saying this in the Lord, meaning on behalf of the Lord, with the very authority of the Lord Jesus. Another way you could say this is this. If Jesus took pen and paper or whatever they, they used back there in the first century, uh, scroll and thing, uh, if that happened, Jesus would be saying these words. So as we approach this, let's remember, we're not looking primarily at a human opinion of how to live your life. We're looking at the Lord Jesus himself. His agenda for your life is about to come at you. Here we go. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Paul is writing to primarily Gentile people. So what is he saying? Stop. Stop being part of the... No, no, no. What he's saying? Uh, Gentile obviously, you know, means the non-Jewish people. But more significantly, more specifically, what he's saying is what we have here is the Gentiles are those who are not loving and worshiping Jesus in the surrounding culture. So Paul is saying you must live differently. You must live set apart from your culture for the purpose of being a witness to the culture around you. This actually is what Jesus teaches his disciples, right? You must be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be a distinctive witness, a distinctive people set on display for Jesus. So here's what's going to happen. In verses 17 to 19, Paul defines the characteristics of those who are not in Christ. Characteristics that he's going to use as a motivation for Christians to resist this way of living, this way of being, this way of the inauthentic self, okay? We're going to see it three things, okay? Three things here. And there's going to be a flow to it. It's going to start with a broken mind, verse 17, then moving to uh, what's rooted into a numb heart, uh, which is verses 18 and 19, and then finally in verse 19, it results in an indulgent life. A broken mind, a numb heart, indulgent life. And this is all a part of what we must resist, okay? Resist who you are not. Number one, broken mind, verses 17 to 18. Look down with me at verse 17. They are living in the futility of their minds, darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. Futility of mind, darkened understanding, ignorance. These are all about a mind that is broken, that's not functioning correctly. We might say that for those who are outside of Christ, those who are not connected to Jesus by faith, there is no North Star to lead them towards God's purpose in their life. Futility of mind, futility of thinking, futile meaning empty, meaningless. There's no direction or purpose for the way they think and therefore live. And this uh, futile thinking results in, look down with me, verse 18, a darkened understanding, meaning they're not able to understand, to grasp the truth that is in Jesus. And because they do not understand God and his ways, because they have a darkened understanding, look down with me, verse 18, they are separated from the life of God. In God, God himself is an overflowing fountain of life. 
And to be darkened and not able to know him, meaning not just facts, but this relational knowledge, you are therefore disconnected from the very source of life, separated from him. The walking dead, as it says in Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins. But look, verse 18, all of this is rooted in an ignorance that is lodged deep within them. The fundamental characteristics of a broken mind of those who do not know Christ is they basically just apathetically ignore his beauty. It's like someone who refuses to enjoy a beautiful sunset. You probably have seen this before because they're so lost on their phone, right? That's what it's like to be severed from the life-giving greatness of Jesus Christ. They ignore Jesus. They couldn't care less about Jesus. Is this who you are, Parkview? Ignoring the reality of Jesus in your life? You must not walk like the Gentiles. You must not walk like those who do not lovingly worship Christ. Second thing we must resist. We must resist the numb heart. The numb heart. Look down with verses 18 to 19 to describe what I mean there. It says that uh, what's going on in their minds, this, this broken mind that's unable to grasp the truth of Jesus, it's due, verse uh, 18, due to their hardness of heart, and then verse 19 fleshes out a little bit more, because they've become callous. Hardness of heart and callous. See, when you have a callous on your toe, it's there to numb you from the pressure and pain of walking around. And so what this passage is saying, what the Lord is speaking to us is that those separated from Christ, ignoring God, they've become numb in their heart to the reality of God, to the beauty of God, and in particular, to the severity of their sin. To the severity of their sin. Sin no longer has a danger to them. They, th- it, their heart is so encrusted over it's become uh, like a locked vault of concrete, impenetrable to the loveliness of Jesus Christ. Is that who you are, Parkview? Is that who you are? Does that define your life? See, we must resist not only the broken mind, unable to grasp the truth of Jesus, but also the, the numb, callous heart that's unable to experience and feel the loveliness of Jesus. So we begin with the broken minds, rooted in the numb hearts, dull to the beauty of Christ, but then the numbness of heart results, ultimately look down at verse 19, to an indulgent lifestyle. Verse 19, their callousness towards God expresses itself by giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In particular, what's going on here is uh, particularly sexual immorality is what's, what's being talked about here. A passion for more and more pleasure, an an addiction to more and more of the stuff in life that feeds my inner desires, no matter the harm or consequences to those around me. Greedy, hungry, passionate to practice every kind of impurity. They have an indulgent life. They are defying, we might say, the commands of Christ. So to recap what God is saying in verses 17 to 19, okay, we must resist. We must resist looking like the world around us, uh, participating in the same values and lifestyle choices and habits as those who have not committed themselves to love and follow Jesus. 
what is the old self, the inauthentic self. And it's characterized by the broken minds that are unable to grasp the truth of Jesus. It's characterized in numb hearts, unable to feel the beauty of Jesus. And it's resulting in indulgent lifestyles defying the commands of Jesus. Parkview, listen, verse 17, the word of the Lord. You must, you must, you must not, you must not live like that. Think like that. Desire like that. Which means this, if there is anything in your life right now, any area where you're rejecting the truth of Christ, where you are dull to the beauty of Christ, where you are defying the commands of Christ, Parkview, you must flee. You must turn. You must get away from it. You must cut it out of your life. And do you know why? Not because God likes to shame you. Not because he's here just to get angry at you. You know why you are called not to live like that? Verse 20 is the answer. That is not the way that you learned Christ. That's not the way you learn Christ. That's not your authentic self. If you are in Jesus, part of you, if you are connected to Christ, if he is Lord and Savior and friend and master of your life, guess what? You have a whole new way of living, which leads to the second point, verses 20 to 24. You must be who you are. You must be who you are. You see, Paul is just trying to be honest here. He's saying, don't—if you're a Christian— I was talking to uh, Doug Fern, East Campus pastor, and this is what I think this is how he's going to teach this passage. He's basically saying, hey, uh, if you are a Christian, don't live like you're not a Christian. It's pretty simple, right? But guess why? Why? What's the motivation? Why? Because that's actually not who you are. You are self-sabotaging. Sin, every act of sin and defiance of God is an act of self-sabotage. It's an act of spiritual suicide. It's going against the grain of who you really are in Jesus. That's not how you learn Christ, verse 20, verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Paul makes an immediate shift, reminding the Christians of their radical change in relationship. No longer is sin your master and you're under its condemnation. No, Jesus is Lord and King, and you are under his life-giving power. Notice how Jesus saturated these two verses are. I mean, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't waste words. If it emphasizes stuff, it wants to make a point, usually it'll like, it'll like say it twice, sometimes three times. Here, we've got four times. Look at the way you learned Christ, verse 20. You've heard about him, verse 21. Heard about him in the gospel. You were taught in him, knowing the basics of living for him as your Lord. And then it says, all because of the truth that's in Jesus. We have entered, Paul is saying, the school of Christ. The University of Jesus is now accepting enrollment, and we're in the University of Jesus. Think of it this way, okay? Students at the University of Iowa, hello. Imagine yourself as a student at the University of Iowa. Uh, yeah, isn't it tough for you guys to think about that? You guys, you guys need to think hard about that. You know, it's tough. Um, their work schedules, right? Their work schedules, friendships they create, where they eat on campus, how they structure their time, when they go to the gym, whatever it is, every aspect of their life is governed by one single reality. They are students who are learning in the University of Iowa. Their identity as learners in the University of Iowa dictates all the rest of their life. Parkview, that's us. If you've learned Christ, meaning, isn't that amazing? Not just facts about, but you've learned a person. 
Becoming a Christian means you, you're learning Jesus. He is everything to you. He's the teacher you learn from, the subject you learn about, and he is the content that you memorize in the Christian life. Christ, 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 four times. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is Christ. It's how you live your life in connection to Jesus. That is who you are right now if you've embraced Jesus. Whoa. See, verse 17 to 19, it's not who you are. It's not your true self. It's not your authentic self. Guess what? You don't have to look inside of you to try to figure out who you are. Who you are has been given from outside of you in Jesus and what he's done. Think about how freeing that is. Because don't you just, when you look inside of yourself, I am such a massive ball of contradictions. But to know who I really am is secure for me in Jesus. I've learned Christ. You've learned Christ. Not broken minds. Parkview, you grasp the truth that is in Jesus, haven't you? If you've trusted in Jesus, you've grasped the truth that's in Jesus. You know him. You love him. The truth of his crucifixion for your sin, his resurrection power, his exalted reigning over all things right now. You've grasped the truth that's in Jesus. You don't have hard hearts. You have hearts alive to the beauty of God. Not callous, not dull, not numb. You're alive to the beauty of God. You're not the person look at the Grand Canyon who can't look at the beauty of the Grand Canyon because you're on your phone. No, you look at the Grand Canyon, you look at Jesus Christ and his infinite beauty, and you're like, whoa! That's who you are in Jesus Parkview. That's who you are. You are not, you know, right now, you are not someone who participates in a selfishly indulgent lifestyle. You know why? Because you now, in Jesus, you have a life that's demonstrating loving obedience to your master Jesus. That's how you learned Christ. That's really who you are. Isn't that amazing? Your sin cannot define who you are. You are not the struggles in your life. You're not. You're not the pain in your life. You're not the problems in your life. You are Christ. You belong to Christ, and he belongs to you, and you have learned him, and that is, that is who you are. So now we just ask the question, now what does that look like in practice? What's that going to look like living it out, Wade? Let's get real practical here. It means three things, okay? Three things. What does it look like to be who we are in Christ? Look down at verses 22 to 24. 22 to 24. Wow. You see how cool this passage is? Don't you just love the Bible? And Paul, what a, he's just a genius. It's just a very clear flow in this passage. 17 to 19, it's who you once were. That's not who you are. Don't be like that. Why? Who are you now? Verse 20 to 21, you've learned Christ. You're in Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. The Christian life's all about Christ. And then 22 to 24, zhoof, this is what that looks like. In your life, here's how your life should be characterized if you are learning Christ. Here it is, ready? Three ways, 20 to 20, 22 to 24. 22, put off your old self. 23, to be renewed in your spirit of your mind. 24, put on the new self. Do you see that? To put off, to be renewed, to put on. Let's look at those three things. 
This is what it's going to look like if we're going to be in Christ, live it out. This is what it's going to look like, living it out. Here we go. First way to be who you are. The first way, Parkview, is to put off your old self. Verse 22. Put off your old self, Paul says, because it belongs to your former manner of life. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, because currently you're struggling with it. Currently, it's what's going on. Nope. He says, former. Former. Do you see that word there in verse 22? Isn't that awesome? It belongs to your former manner of life. So you can say, sayonara, see you later, old life. I'm now in the new life in Christ. Former manner of life, and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. The first thing we learn in Christ is there must be a radical break from our past life before we met Jesus. There must be a radical break, a turning away from. You may have the same hairstyle since before uh, you met Christ. You might drive the same car. You might work the same job, etc. But your values, your intuitions, your motivations, your affections, your goals, they are fundamentally redirected towards Jesus and his kingdom purposes. That is what it means to put off your old self. You have put away the old humanity is what other translations have it. It's no longer part of your current life. Your old self, it says, verse 22, is it corrupt through deceitful desires. It will try to trick you. It will try to deceive you. It will try to play a trick that you can have a little bit of sin. And you can have a little bit of this and a little bit of, it's not that big of a deal. But what it's trying to do, the old self, it, it is trying to lure you into a trap. And it looks like an amazing chocolate bar, but inside is poison. And you know that. I mean, how many of us in here have walked down the path of sin thinking, ah, this will be really good. And you get there and it's utterly destructive for yourself. Jesus loves you so much. He says, you know what? You can put that away. That's no longer who you are. You are with me now. You have learned me and you can live a whole new way of being human. I want to speak real quick to those of you in light of this verse, those of you here who are not yet followers of Christ, those of you who are not yet put off the old self, and you're wondering what's Christianity all about. Well, Christianity is actually just two things. It's two things, very simple. To become a Christian, live the Christian, it's two things. It's an admission and an exchange. An admission and exchange. First, you admit that your life is described in verse 17 to 19, that you have a broken mind, unable to grasp the truth of God. That you have a dull and numb heart, unable to see the greatness of God and the danger of your sin. You might say, well, my life's pretty good. I don't think it's all that bad. Well, I say, yeah, of course your life feels okay because your heart is numb to the danger of your sin. And you have to admit that before the Lord. Admit, admit, admit that you've participated in an indulgent lifestyle that has deviated to, from the commands of the God who's created you. It's just admission. That's the first step you got to do. And the second thing you must do is, here's the good news, is you make an exchange. You come to Jesus with your old life, and you say, Jesus, my old life, and I don't want this anymore. I want your new life. I want your love and your mercy and your peace and your justice to characterize my life. So let's do a change. You get the worst of it. I get the best of it. And Jesus is happy with that. Literally. Jesus loves taking broken, messed up lives and exchanging them with his life, his new life, filled with his love and forgiveness. And that's what it means to put off the old self. The Bible also calls that repentance. Turning away. Grieving that you've sinned against the Lord God himself. And say, oh, I'm so sorry for that. I don't, I don't want to live like, help me live differently in a new way. That is what it means to put off your old self. And that's offered to you right now if you're not yet following Christ. That's the good news of the gospel that you can enter into right now.
Second way we act in light of who we are in Christ, verse 23 says this, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Renewed in the spirit of our minds. Following the Lord Jesus means we have a fundamental brain surgery, right? Jesus himself says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our minds are engaged in knowing the truth of the Lord. No longer are we characterized by the darkness, futility, and ignorance of our life apart from Christ. Rather, we grasp the true knowledge of God. There's something deeper going on here, and I want you to lean in here, guys. This is amazing. In Christ, we learn, as we learn Jesus, our mindset is renewed, right? To be renewed in the spirit of your minds, the deepest part of who you are. You have a new perspective. Ephesians 1, okay, earlier, we've talked about this already in this series, says the Holy Spirit has enlightened our eyes to see Jesus for who he is, to, to actually have light in our minds to, to grasp the truth of Jesus. And, and, and who is this Jesus? Think about it. Think about it. If we're renewed in our minds, who is this Jesus that we've been renewed by? It's a Jesus who, according to Ephesians, is this crucified, resurrected Lord sitting in control over all things. But not only is he in control, but this resurrected Lord, he is your friend. And he has, wants to partner with you. And he wants to work in your life that which is good and pleasing to him. Uh, elsewhere in the scripture, it talks about how God's passion is to make all things new in your life. Jesus is committed. Yes, he is the reigning Lord, but, but he who is the reigning Lord is also your friend. That's the perspective you need to take. Now, this is why this makes a difference here, okay? Here's the catch, Christian believer. And this is the Jesus that we know. Think about having that mindset, okay? Think about viewing your earthly situations in light of the heavenly perspective. If you're in Christ, think about the perspective you have right now in your life. Here's why I bring this up, okay? As Christians, is it not, if we're just honest, is it not just so easy to fall into this uh, drudgery about our problems and our pains and this is what's going wrong and this thing at work and this anxiety going on at home and uh, this problem with my friend. Uh, you know, if we can just, our minds become filled and saturated and we think all about our problems and all about our pains and all about the what ifs and what the future is going to hold. But you have part of you believer those of you in Jesus right now, those of you who have embraced Jesus, verse 20, 23 says, you have a renewed mind. You've been renewed in the spirit of your mind, meaning you have a whole new perspective. One of our staff members at 24-7 used to say, you have Jesus goggles now, and you get to look through all of your life and all of the pain and all of the problems and what's going on at home and going on at work and the Monday drive to work. Oh, woof, right? And you get to have the Jesus goggles, knowing that he who was crucified is resurrected and ascended and is Lord over all things. He is your friend and committed to your good and to see you flourish and joy in him. So you engage the problem at work, not just by yourself and, ah, oh, you know, or you go home or you, whatever, you know, the problem. No, you get to see it through Christ and what he's actively doing in your life right now, that you are part of this new creation that Jesus is doing and he wants to partner with you to bring peace and love and mercy to the places you go. So work no longer becomes a drudgery, but it becomes a chance for witnessing. That you know that your boss is not your boss, but it's Christ himself, according to scripture. And at home life, you no longer get to view the people through the lens of self and how can you serve me, but you get to put on the perspective, the mindset, the renewed mind of Jesus, 
which says, I'm here to serve and bless and help, whether it's my apartment friend or it's my family. Do you get what's going on here? You have a renewed mind. And so what we need to do very practically is when those voices come in the mind, when those thoughts come, and it's again another problem, and it's again the pain, it's again the, you need to have a moment where you say, Lord Jesus, help me see things through your eyes. Give me that perspective that I know I have, that though you are right now in control of all things, I can trust you. You are my loving friend beside me who is working all things out for my good and for your glory. That radically changes the way you engage all the stuff going on in your life. So you have, in Christ, put off the old self. You have a new mindset, the Jesus goggles. The reigning Lord is also your friend at work in your life. And third, to become who you are. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. Summarize it, verse 24. You put on the new self, created at the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is our final point the summary of really everything Paul's trying to get at here. You put on the new self. You create the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Like receiving a new wardrobe. Man, I thought about doing this. I didn't. You should be thankful. Uh, so uh, Haddon, our beautiful little boy, seven months old, last night, put on a onesie and blah, just vomited like 57 times on it. I thought about, wow, what if I brought this nasty, dripping with vomit onesie and showed you, here's your old self, Parkview. You've put that away. And then here's Hattie, and he's dressed in this nice onesie, and he hasn't vomited on it yet. Uh, but that's what's going on, okay? Put off the old self. Put on. It's clothing imagery here. We've put on this new suit, this new identity in Christ. And look at these words. Are they not familiar with you? We've gone through Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, right? Creating the likeness of God. We are creating His image. God's plan. God's plan for you and for the entire creation is to have a people who are created in his likeness and who are embodying his character in their everyday lives. What's his character? Look down, verse 24. In true righteousness and holiness. God is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He is good and loving and kind. And that is God's plan for us. And yet we know the story of Scripture, don't we? We have failed that. We have not been righteous. Humans have been wrongness. And uh, we're not holy, right? We're broken. We're deceitful. We're um, defiled. But here's God's great agenda. Though humans have rebelled and defaced God's intention to live according to his character and likeness, like a master architect working for the extreme makeover house edition, it's, it's, it's human edition. God wants to remake humans. He wants to have a new humanity. God's great agenda is to recreate. And how does he recreate? How does he recreate us? Do you know? Well, the attempt of the therapist with Katy Perry, the end of the session, he says one of these things. He says, uh, he explained how Katy has, she herself has a responsibility to discover who she is and to live it out. She herself has a responsibility to create her true self, to find it, to control it, and to live a different life. And he makes this statement. He says, I always tell my cl clients that no one can live for you and no one can die for you. That's his therapist. That's his kind of his, his clinching moment is no one can live for you. No one can die for you. It's up to you to recreate yourself. It's up to you to become the person who you want to be. It is up to your own resources. That's the, what we're hearing in our culture. But in scripture, in the gospel, it's not up to you. There is someone who's lived for you. 
There is someone who has died for you, Parkview, Jesus Christ. God remakes broken, sinful, old humans into his resplendent image through Jesus Christ. Verse 24, what does it say? It says that we're created at the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, the righteous one. In Christ, the holy one. That is what we have. That is how we receive our true self. So the sin right now that you're battling, it is not your true self. The problems in your life that feel such a heavy burden, they are not fundamentally who you are. They do not define your life. Do you know who does? Jesus Christ. The one who has conquered death. The one who has been raised from death and who is right now exalted at the right hand of the Father. That is who you are. You have learned Christ. Remember what Paul says? Christ, 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 Christ. That is is who you are. In Jesus, you are part of the new creation that God has begun now and one day, one day, will bring to completion. I'll finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. He wants to rebuild you, Parkview. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts terribly and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that God is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out the new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. <laughs> but God is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. The principle runs through all of life from top to bottom, Lewis says. Your new self, which is Christ and also yours, is about giving up yourself and you will find, you will find your real, true, authentic self. Hey, Parkview, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You've learned Christ. You are in Christ. The old is gone the new has come, and now, by the Holy Spirit's power, you can live differently. You can live for Christ because of what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful that we know who we are. We're in Jesus, the one who's conquered death and sin and hell. He's risen again. He is exalted Lord, and by his Holy Spirit, you're remaking us. We're like houses being rebuilt, Lord. It hurts. It's way different than what we expected, but my goodness, how beautiful we will be. Right now, it's starting, but one day, in the new creation, resplendent joy after the image of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful. So do your work among us for your glory. Amen.